0: Alright, good morning. Thank God for another Sunday we can worship Him. You know, as you go through uh, the series from creation to Christ, the what we need to understand is progressive revelation. That is, God reveals Himself progressively and not just one time tell us everything. So when we read the stories of the Old Testament, um, we need to understand what the text means for the people at that time, what it's saying to the readers at that time. But we also understand we are not Jewish people. We are New Testament followers. So we have to look at those stories through the lenses of the cross, and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so we don't change the meaning of the text, but we need to understand the fuller significance. And so as we read all these stories, through the Old Testament the New Testament, throughout history, God is only doing one thing, and that is unveiling His redemptive plan. And that is the greatest love story ever told. More importantly, God has also weaved our stories into that story so that we may continue to tell this love story to the people around us. And so when we look at our whole series from January to April, from creation to Christ, our theme for this year is to proclaim Christ for outreach. But to do that, it is compelled by the love of God to understand God's love for us. So in January, we look at The creation events. Very quickly, 11 chapters of Genesis tells us of the creation, how sin entered into mankind, and the sin uh, came into the first family, Cain and Abel, and then in Noah's ark, God hit the reset button, but sin still persists. And so the story continues. In February, we're looking at the family. Really, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, I would say, is the preface. Because very quickly, it covers a long span of time, and then Genesis 12, it stops. It slows down and we take a look at this family of Abraham. And we realize the seed of the woman that God promised to Adam and Eve, the Savior, will come through the family of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And so in February, we look at the family. Today, we'll start from the story of Abraham, the covenant God made with him, promise of the land, the seed and the blessing. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, I pray for your conviction and stirring of our hearts. As we see Christ lifted up, we will be compelled by your love. We will rediscover our first love for you, to retell this love story to others. That God, you may be glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in the 17th century, you enter the home of a typical English person. There will be three books on their shelves. The Bible, the Anglican prayer book and John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress from this world to the next. Bunyan was a pastor who was organising churches outside of the Church of England, and as a result, he was persecuted and imprisoned. There was this time he was imprisoned for 12 years, and after 12 years, he wrote his famous book, Pilgrim's Progress. It is an allegory of the Christian life from a conversion to our glory. The protagonist is a person called Christian. After his conversion, he's called Christian, and he embarked on this journey, leaving his home, his, his city of destruction, to go towards the celestial city of Mount Zion. And along the way, he had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He had to climb the mountain of difficulty and withstand the temptations of Vanity Fair. He met people like Mr. Legality and Morality, who detracted him from, following, from the way to the celestial city. Finally, it was a true gatekeeper called Goodwill, which is Jesus himself who pointed the pilgrim, pointed Christian back to the king's highway. And on this highway, he met hopeful and faithful and other characters. And finally, together with faithful, they crossed the river to Mount Zion, the celestial city. You know, as a young Christian, when I read this book, I was amazed that this book written in the 17th century so accurately describes our Christian journey today. Why is it that God saved us and He didn't just bring us to heaven but keep us here on earth? Well, God is only doing one thing, unveiling His redemptive plan through Christ. And hence, we are here on earth to grow in Christ's likeness and to bring people along, to allow Christ to form in the lives of others. And that is the purpose of our journey from a city of destruction to a celestial city. And in this, along this journey, we face many tensions between self-centeredness and servanthood, between sensualism and self-control, between pursuing temporal things and eternal things. So today, I want us to consider how do we make this journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city? Three things that we need to know from the story of Abraham. First is that we leave the city of destruction for the celestial city by faith. We saw... In what happened from creation, and then now finally entering the family of Abraham. The whole narrative slows down to this, this story. The Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God promised him a land, the promised land. A nation, descendants that will form a great nation and a blessing. But a blessing is not just for the family of Abraham, for the Israelites, but it's for all the families of the earth. But the condition was that Abraham needed to leave his country, leave his relatives, leave his father's home. You know at the time when people get married, they don't just move out. They stay together as a big tribe. Why? Well, it gives protection, a sense of security, protection from bandits and their enemies. And in the society, without a family, you are nothing. Your family gives you a sense of self-worth, value, and identity. So what God is saying to Abraham is to leave everything that gives you a sense of identity, security, value behind and follow me. And until unless you follow me, you will not experience the greater blessing. You know, there was a child... His hand was stuck in an expensive vase. He was screaming, and so his parents tried to pull his hand out but couldn't. In the end, they had no choice but to break the expensive vase, and they found out the reason why they were unable to pull out his hand. Because he was clenched, he clenched his fist like a ball, and so he just couldn't come out. Finally, when he unclasped his hand, there were a few coins in there. See, the boy saw a few coins at the bottom of the vase and he reached for it, thinking that they were so precious we grab onto them and refuse to let go and finally, they have to break the expensive vase. Likewise for us, what are we pursuing to give us a sense of security, our identity, our careers, our bank accounts, family, love? We think that if we let go and surrender to God, we are shortchanging ourselves. But friends, it's the other way around because unless we open our hands and keep them open, we are unable to receive the blessings of God. What are we pursuing to give us a sense of meaning and purpose in life? There's this lady called Cynthia Hamel. She writes for a New York magazine and in one of her articles, she says, you know, she knows a lot of those celebrities even before they became famous. And then she names a few of them and says, many of them, after they become celebrities, they become monsters. They begin to indulge in uh, drugs, drinking, relationships. And then she gives the reason why. She wrote this statement. It says, when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, He grants your deepest wish and then giggles merrily when you suddenly realize you want to kill yourself. Now, okay, firstly, she is not a Christian, okay, so her view of God is certainly not accurate. But what she's saying here is, these people achieve what they want, which is fame, and when they finally get it, they they still feel the sense of emptiness. And they realize what's next. And so to, feel fo- to find their fulfillment, they indulge in drinks, sex, relationship, drugs, and yet they're unable to fill the void in their hearts. And so we ask ourselves, what are we pursuing today for a sense of security and fulfillment? We're leaving the city of destruction for the celestial city, and we do this by faith. Hence, Hebrews 11 tells us By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place where he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't know what was out there. He just followed. He obeyed. And this is by faith. He lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Why do they contrast between dwelling in tents and living in a city? You know, when I went to Israel years ago, I went there for a course, and so they would bring us for these hikes. You know, you grow up, climb up this hill, and once you get there, all you see is a few rocks, you know? And they say, imagine, this is the city of Jericho. And that time was summertime, and I didn't bring my umbrella, so it was really hot. Then they'll make you sit in the hot sun, they tell you the story, you know? I was sitting there, I was thinking, oh, are, you, are you kidding, I'm sitting here? Then I thought, Good thing I, 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 I was army trained. You know what army trains you to do? How to king, you know? So I look around, I say, oh, there's a tree, you know, with two big leaves. So I will go over there and put my head under the shadow. Oh, there's a wall. I will just squat by the wall. While others are here listening. I'm at a side listening beside the wall. And I just thought, you know, I thought, wow, if I have to live in the wilderness like this, sure die. One misstep, you're dead, right? Bitten by mosquito, or oh no, poisonous snakes, uh, you run into enemies. You run out of water. Heat stroke, moon stroke. It is so dangerous. And that is why they needed to live in cities. You say, but, but, but Abraham, very rich, you know? He lived in the wilderness, but he has so many cows and sheep. I say, you want, you take all the sheep? Like, I'd rather live in the city. The city is safe. You know, it provides uh, comfort and convenience. But what kind of city was Abraham looking for? One that cannot be seen not touched because it's a city built by God what he's saying is that Abraham left his everything that gave him a sense of security and identity behind he surrendered because he believed that God provides a better source of security because God is a promise keeper because God is sovereign and God is good God has prepared something better for him something that he would not see or experience For those who say such things, make it clear that they're seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have an opportunity to return. If they kept thinking of where they left, Haran, they would have turned back, but they did not. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is the heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God because he has prepared a city for them. Would God be ashamed to be called our God when He looks at our lives? What are we pursuing today to give us a sense of security? Friends, if we know we are heading for the celestial city, if we know we are living in light of eternity, then how do we look at our time, our money? How do we face the challenges before us? I've shared many times how I've been impacted by the missionary called Jim Elliott, who martyred in 1956. But really, I got to know his story because of his wife, Elizabeth Elliot. You know, the first Christian book I, re- I read as a Christian was Passion and Purity About Dating. Uh, don't read that book, okay? But anyway, she introduced me to Jim Elliot and I started to read. And I read so many of her books and they, are wonderf- they wonderfully point us to a life of following Christ. But I think about it. Jim Elliot died and he went to heaven. I, I think he had the sweet end of the deal, you know. You think about his wife. She had to stay behind. At 29 years old, she was already a widow. And she had to take care of a 10-month-old girl. They waited for five and a half years to get married, even though they were in love. Why? Because they felt that God has called them to different countries to serve. Until one day, they found themselves, their lives intersecting again, that they decided to get married. And after waiting five and a half years, they enjoyed the marriage for 829 days. Slightly more than two years. Now she's a young widow with a 10-month-old girl, but instead of being afraid of the people who killed her husband, instead of being bitter and hating them, she stayed behind, moved in with the tribe. And at that time, they, they didn't have any contact with outsiders. She lived with them and eventually opened up the tribe to the gospel. Then she moved home to the US. She got married. And soon after, she had to see her second husband die of cancer. Years later, she got married again. At the age of 88, she went home to the Lord. But the last 10 years of her life, she struggled with dementia. And I imagine, after reading all those brilliant books, it came from a brilliant mind, how it felt to know that you're losing your mind. How did this woman persevere so many years to follow her Lord? In one of her books, Let Me Be a Woman, she said, Suffering is an irreplaceable medium through which I learn an indispensable truth. God is God. Adam and Eve wanted to be God. They wanted to control their destiny. They wanted to decide what is right and what is wrong. But friends, life tells us, God is God and I am not. God is God and I am not. And by faith, we commit to follow Him. She said the life of faith is lived one day at a time. And that was how she lived the 21,709 days between the martyrdom of her first husband and her own death. day by day by faith. Friends, we are living the city of destruction for the celestial city by faith. But this is not blind faith. This is not superstitious faith. There's no faith in our own goodness and our own determination, our own morality. It's faith in the faithfulness of Christ. Leave the city of destruction for the celestial city by faith in the faithfulness of Christ. Abraham followed the Lord for a 100 years. God first appeared to him when he was 75 and he died 175. Within the 100 years, how many times did God appear to him? Only a handful of times, okay? Not every day four or five times. Then in between, what was he doing? Waiting lah. He was waiting by faith. And so, at Genesis 12, God appeared to him. He was 75 years old. He followed, he left Haran, his family, and followed the Lord into the wilderness. Genesis 15, God appeared again and says, he asked him to cut animals, the sacrifice into half, and then put them on each side of of the road to form a path. Okay, and it says the sun was going down. A deep sleep fell on Abram. Behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. God told him, You are going to Egypt where you will be slaves. But I will judge the nation whom they will serve and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. It means he has left all his family behind to follow the Lord and walk in the wilderness and God is telling him, you will not see the promise fulfilled. You know, you are going to die and be buried in this land. Then in the fourth generation, they return here for the iniquity of the Amorite that is not yet complete. It's a reference to the Amorites who sinned against God and God is saying he's waiting for them to turn back. And the fourth generations, or uh, the, the Israelites will come back. And it says, it, after saying all this, it came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark. Behold, there appeared a smoking oven, a flaming torch which passed between these pieces, passed between the, 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 the animal pieces. At that time when kings made covenants, the two kings would walk between the paths of the separated animal, to signify that both of them are committed to the covenant, committed to fulfilling the conditions. But who walked through the path in this case? Did Abraham do it? No, he was in deep sleep. God was the only one who walked through the covenant agreement because God is the one who initiated this process. God is the one who chose Abraham and God is the one who will make sure that Abraham finishes the journey with him. Genesis 17, a few years later, now Abraham is almost 100 years old. Okay, at first he says, God promised to have children, no children. So he said, Maybe it's through my servant, son. God says, No. Then he slept with his wife Sarah's maid, Hagar, and they produced a son, Ishmael. He says, Maybe the promised child will be Ishmael. And God says, No. And so in Genesis 17, at almost 100 years old, God appears to him and says, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham. For I will make you a father of the multitudes of nations. And before this, he also say, changed Sarah's name to Sarah. That a promised child will come through Sarah and him. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. God gave him the sign of the covenant to say that they belong to a people of God. They belong to God. Now, when we look at the life of Abraham, he spent many years waiting. He had many ups and downs. And when we look at the structure of the text, We see this chiastic structure, which means the first and last segment has similar themes. The second and second last segment has similar themes. And so the central text is an emphasis. The central text is the covenant. God made the covenant and gave the sign of the covenant, which means the focus here is on the faithfulness of God. Abraham's life was centered upon this covenant that God made with him. It is God's faithfulness who will carry him through. And if you notice, beginning, Abraham lies about Sarah in Egypt because she was very beautiful. He was afraid Pharaoh won her and so because she is his wife, he will get killed. So he lied, says she's my sister. Which means, if you want her, go lah. Don't kill me. Right? And we can understand, maybe he's afraid. He just started following God. He didn't know that the promised line came through Sarah and him. But then in Genesis 20, after so many years of following God, experiencing God, and God already told him very clearly, the promised lie will come through him and Sarah. Again, he lied. The king Abimelah Abimelech came and he lied. He said, oh, she's only my sister. And now, he's not only trying to save his life. He was putting the entire of God's redemptive plan at risk. You know, when I look at Abraham's life, I feel comforted. <laughs> I said, wow, like that I also can. Like that I also called father of faith. Like that I also, then I got hope, you know. We live our own lives. I mean... At the time, many times, while we love God, we struggle. We, we stumble. But we have good intentions. But friends, our journey of following Christ is not dependent on our own faithfulness, our own morality, our own goodness. But on the faithfulness of Christ. For while we are faithless, God remains faithful. And In the New Testament, Peter says as much First Peter, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, just like Abraham, so join us in a foreign land. Says, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Paul says in Philippians three, we are citizens of heaven. The word is politics. Our politics is in heaven. We are strangers in this land, but. Keep your behaviour excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoer, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God. Watch how you live, so that when they slander you, you say, say, why are you like that? But in that, they have no choice but to admit your goodness, and hence glorify God. And why do you do this? For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. Christ, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. For while being reviled, he did not revile in return. But while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you are healed, and for you were continually, continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your soul. Why do we live by faith? Why do we live as strangers and aliens in this land? Because of the example of Christ. Because of His love for us. We are like sheep straying. Maybe for some of us, you know, this is the first time in a long time you're back at church. Maybe for some of us, we are straight, our hearts have gone cold. But God has continually called out, out to us even when we didn't know Him to love us, to call us back. We are like strange sheep called back to the shepherd. You know, when I struggle with my own insecurity, when I stumble because of my sin, my pride, yet I know God is there. His faithfulness ensures that I can continue to follow Him. So friends, we are leaving the city of destruction for the celestial city by faith and the faithfulness of Christ. And finally, along this journey, let us bring someone along. When God blessed Abraham, it was never just for him and his family. It is for all nations. And so in Galatians, it says, Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. He was called righteous, not because he lived righteously, but because he believed in the one who was perfectly righteous. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Paul was talking to a Jewish people. He says, you think you're saved because you're descendants of Abraham? The true descendants are those who respond by faith. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. What do you mean? Where's the gospel to Abraham? It says, when all nations will be blessed in you. We learn this concept of blessed to be a blessing, and it's a wonderful concept. God bless me, I want to bless other people. But sometimes, unfortunately, we relate this blessing simple simply to material blessing. I bless people so that God bless me more. But really, the idea of blessed to be a blessing is based on this covenant with Abraham. And the blessing of Abraham is not material blessing. The blessing of Abraham has to do with the gospel. Verse 14 says, "In order that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to be the Gentiles." So, if the blessing of Abraham is is material, then what does it mean to come to the Gentiles? The gospel says, "The church, the body of Christ, is not just the Jews but the Gentiles." As a result of the blessing of Abraham, we will receive the Spirit through faith. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He doesn't say to his seeds as referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, that is Christ. Paul argues based on a grammar. He says in the text, when he says, through the seed of Abraham is singular, not plural. If it's plural, it refers to the Jewish people, but singular, it is referring to Christ. And because of Christ, all of you who are baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek there's neither slave nor free man, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Who are the descendants of Abraham? Those who by faith trusted in Christ. Now in October, we'll be doing the book of Galatians, okay, so we unpack more. But what I'm trying to show you here, from beginning, God's intentions has always been for all nations. And so while we are living the city of the destruction for the celestial city by faith in the faithfulness of Christ, let us bring someone along. When we look at creation, we see Christ is the creator who caused us to become a new creation. When we look at the story of Adam and Eve who fell into sin, Christ is the seed of the woman who crushed the head of the serpent. He will provide a covering for us to cover our nakedness and shame, not by our own efforts or our own morality. In the story of Cain and Abel, we see that when you offer offerings, it takes faith. And Christ is the one who has the perfect faith, who offered Himself. He is the innocent brother who bled for us. For while the blood of Abel cries vengeance, the blood of Christ cries forgive. In the story of Noah, we see there's only one way to salvation, and Christ is the one way. And today, when we look at Abraham's life, not only is Jesus the seed of Abraham, while Abraham left his father's home, forsaking all the riches and value and identity and security to seek a promised land, Jesus left the home of His heavenly Father, forsaking all the glories of heaven to search for a promised bride. While we receive, or Abraham received a physical act of circumcision, we have received a circumcision of the heart to show that we belong to God. But friends, while Abraham risked the purity of his bride for the sake of his own life, Jesus Christ, the true Abraham, Sacrificed his life for the purity of his bride, the church. This is the greatest love story ever told. And what's more amazing is our stories get weaved into the fabric of God's bigger story. So the question is, how do we view our lives knowing that we're heading for eternity? How do we view our money, our children? Are we trying to raise happy children? Or do we see it as an opportunity to fulfill the Great Commission? That all nations to be disciples of Christ begin at our homes. How do you look at your jobs? I want to do a good job so that I can get promotion. Or rather, because it's a witness for Christ. And so when we say we put God first, it isn't doesn't mean that we do church things first. It means that in everything that we do, we realize that we are a witness for God. We are stewards. We do it out of love. Our purpose is because we live life in light of eternity. You know, after I became a Christian, I went to a Chinese church. One of the reasons, of course, is to share the gospel with my parents. But after 10 years, uh, no success, okay? So finally, I decided I was going to the US to study a seminary. So I told God, I said, you know, I've tried for 10 years, and I, I failed, right? So my parents are your responsibility. Soon after that, my dad, of course, had a stroke, right? And I'm thinking, what would he think? You know, his only child has quit his job and go overseas, go far, far away. And then now he has a stroke, you know, basically he cannot work. Would he become bitter about this God? See, my son goes, serve served this God. And now like that. But thankfully he didn't. One day he called me and said, hey, you know, I'm going to church. I said, huh, why? I oh, he said, because a neighbor invited him. See, neighbours see him because he has stroke, cannot work every day, sit downstairs, life very bored. She decided to talk to him and then invited him to a Hokkien church. And then one day he says, you know, I met this person at a coffee shop some time ago. She approached us, befriended us, and she's very nice. She'll bring us to different places in Singapore, to sightsee. you know, bring us to nice restaurants to eat. My birthday, she gave me ang pao. I said, oh dad, you better be careful, you know. <laughs> very sus. I don't even know the person's name. I only know she works for Hong Leong Finance. Until today, I only know Hong Leong Finance. But because of that, later he told me, oh, you know, I, we have become Christians. Oh, we are going to be baptized. And all these, in the 10 years, I was not around. And the lady later told them, you know, say, actually one day she was eating in the coffee shop. She saw them and she was touched by God to befriend them. Now, I don't know, maybe, you know, my dad was struggling. So she pitied him. But I was thinking, if I'm the lady I'm eating, God said, go and talk to them. I said, don't want. I want to finish my chicken rice. <laughs> and she did that, and you know, later she found out, oh, actually, their son is actually you know, a pastor. And so as I think about the story, it's because a neighbour bothered to talk to them, invite them to church. It's because somebody, would, when she was eating her, her, her rice at a coffee shop, was touched by God, and she responded to God by befriending and taking care, spending time and money on a pair of strangers. Friends, if we truly believe in eternity, it means we do more for this world because what we do for God lasts us for eternity. If we don't believe in e- eternity, it means that whatever we do ends the moment we die. It doesn't matter because you don't exist anymore. So do we truly believe we are leaving the city of destruction for the celestial city? I recently read this commentary on the Lord of the Rings, and you know, it really says, the trilogy paints a big picture. begins with this group of hobbits, right? They are so ordinary, and nobody looks, uh, thinks much about them. They meet these angelic beings who are immortals from the land across the western sea. Where the people are immortal. Where they live for eternity. And then they go off on this great adventure, save the world, save their homeland, and when they come back home, something changed. They still love their home but they no longer feel that they are part of this. They feel displaced because of what they've experienced. They see clearly. So they laugh louder, they sing with more gusto and they cry with more tears. They become leaders of their land because they are able to see things the natives cannot see. But every now and then, they will go to the shoreline and sing to the western sea, sing a song that longs for the land across the sea. You know, sometimes I feel that way too. In December, I went back to the States. I spent an afternoon at my seminary. My wife was talking to professors, my kids with their godfather, and so I had a whole afternoon to emo there. And I was thinking, you know, this nine years I came back to Singapore, I don't truly feel like this is my home. Even though I grew up here, even though I love my home, but there's a sense of displacement. Then I went back to the States. I love the the life there and the people there, but I have a very clear realization that I don't belong there. And so how? I don't belong to the US. I don't belong to Singapore. I belong where? I belong to Christ. And that is what truly matters. Friends, if we have caught the glimpse of eternity, eternity has leaked into our hearts. How then do we live our lives? How then do you view your money, your time, your family, your career? What does it mean to live life in light of eternity for you? We are on this journey. On this journey to live the city of destruction for the celestial city. We go on this journey by faith. We go on this journey by faith in the faithfulness of Christ. And as we go on this journey, Let us bring someone alongside. Let us pray.